Hello and welcome to another episode of Latina Life with Jenna Molina. Our super Latina today is a true inspiration and really making an impact in the Latina community and in representing us in the industry. She is a writer, an actor, a comedian. You've probably seen her in her own HBO comedy special. And now she is sharing her story in her memoir, Legitimate Kid. Welcome to the show, Aida Rodriguez. Hey, thanks. Hey. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so nice to have you on. We have so many questions. And um, so we're going to just start from the beginning. And um, because, you know, your story is just so compelling. And I was just like, I need to know more. So mm-hmm. that's why we're yep. here. So um, you are, your mom is from Puerto Rico. Your dad is from the Dominican Republic. And um you were loved very much that everybody was fighting for you, but you didn't really have like, you know, the normal childhood that a lot of us did. Um, so can you tell us the story from like the beginning? Um, I don't know if I can tell you the whole story, but the I whole was- story. Yeah, but a, a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's funny when uh, people say I would have a normal childhood. It's very common. A lot of people, especially that come from the, the Latin community. Mm-hmm have parents that leave one country and bring their child to the yeah. America for opportunity. And, you know, even though my mom was American because my mother's Puerto Rican and she was born, uh, she was born in Puerto Rico, but she's American. She brought me back to the States because she felt like my life would be better. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was, it was, you know, it was a very painful break because I didn't see my father again. My father was undocumented and couldn't come back. Um, and so as a result, I didn't grow up with him. I grew up with my mother's family, uh, very Puerto Rican. I didn't grow up Dominican because I didn't, I wasn't really in the presence of, you know, my Dominican family. And, um, you know, there were, there were the challenges that a lot of people who come to America have, you know, dealing with the ills of being someone from another country in this country, especially if you're a person of color, mm-hmm. but, um, it was, you know, interesting nonetheless, because I didn't see my father again until 2021. So, um, you know, it's been a long time. And so I was very, you know, I was very traumatized by the fact that I didn't have my father because I was very conscious, conscious of his uh, absence. And whereas some kids that young will probably just be like, that's the way it is. They get used to it. It was always something for me that I was like, where, where is he? Why isn't he here? Right. There was the yearning that you had from, Mm -hmm. from being with him, but when your grand, but then your grandma Mm -hmm. had, was that her, the Dominican side who decided that she wanted to take you away from your mom? No, that's my Puerto Rican mom. That was her mother. Oh, that was her mother. Okay. That was an act of love because my mother was in a, in a relationship that was not healthy Mm -hmm. and um, it wasn't good for her and it wasn't good for me. And so my grandmother uh, devised this entire plan to figure out how to come get me. And then she took me and, you know, she, my mother was um, in love with a man who was really bad for her. She was very young and Mm -hmm. She had a baby and she was young. She had already had a baby and it was, um, she was manipulated by this older man who was on the run for murder. He convinced her to go run away with him and we were on the run with him and my grandmother figured out a way to come get me. And, um, you know, she didn't call the police because she didn't want to compromise my mom, her daughter, 
But ultimately right. it was an act of love because she was, she was taking care of me. And that was, yeah. you know, that was something that, you know, I'm ever grateful for. You know, I have to say, I just want to, um, I just want to say thank you because you're such a strong person. You were such a strong kid, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's tough being a kid. It's tough being a kid when you're in school, it's tough being a kid. If you're coming from a biracial family, if you're coming from a single parent family, there's all these dangers around you, which you've detailed, you know, in the book. Um, and you manage sometimes by the skin of your teeth, right. To, to circumvent that and to still come out and still be resilient. Like, where did you get as a kid, you know, that power of being resilient? Like what was sticking in your mind to, you know, make the decisions that you made to keep going strong and then also to not let those challenges keep you down as you were getting older, you know what I mean? As you were getting into like young adulthood. I would say watching my mother and my grandmother, um, in spite of all of the stuff that was happening, you know, those are like generational ills that happen. Mm -hmm. Our community, you know, uh, grandmothers that had first babies when they were very young, you know, yeah. I think for my grandmother, it was like 13 where to, in my head, mm -hmm. you know, like thinking about her having a, a whole child, um, and just, you know, watching them. And, and I remember when I moved to California in 2000, my mom called me to tell me that my grandmother had been diagnosed with cancer. And I panicked because the doctor said, um, <clears throat> she's probably got about less than a year, nine months to a year. Mm. So I immediately started scrambling because I was like, I have to get to my grandmother. And I called her and I said, I'm coming, mommy. I'm on my way. No te preocupes. Don't worry. I'll be there soon. And my grandmother was like, what are you talking about? And I said, my mom told me that the doctor told her and she told me, I know, I know that you have cancer. And they said, you have less, less than a year and I'm going to come be with you. And she said, don't waste your money and don't waste your time. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I have allergies too. She yeah, said, don't waste your money and don't waste your time. When I'm going to die, I'll let you know. And she lived 13 years past that. Um, wow. And she kept reaffirming her strength. Like she kept reaffirming her resilience, reaffirming her stand. And, and she left when she was ready to go. And I, I've always watched her do that. Always tell her it's always on my terms. Nobody's going to tell me how to live my life. Even if I don't know how to read, even if I don't have an education, even if I'm not rich, just watching someone like that your whole life, even though you're not paying attention, it's like hidden in plain sight. Yeah. Yeah. Finally get older and you start to, you know, really pay attention to what happened. You're like, wow, I was in the presence of a hero. And yeah, many of us, many of our abuelitas are just that they've always been heroes. Oh my gosh. That's so true. Because that's one, you know, I mean, just looking at the Latin community and obviously, you know, Latina specifically, it's just, I feel like it's the abuelitas that have given us like the examples in regards to how to keep going, right? You don't stop. But yet, you know, and this is why I admire you so much because, you know, you did come from such a difficult childhood and, and you've had, you know, such, you know, traumatizing moments yep. um, that you didn't let that keep you, you know, you didn't let that keep you down. And it's just, I don't understand. Cause like, I know personally of some people who, you know, have had good childhoods, maybe some difficulties, maybe not, but you know, not so bad. And it's just, 
they get distracted, they get sucked in again. I just don't get it. Like, I don't understand what is it that people like you, like, what do you go to bed with? What do you wake up with in the morning? You know, to keep from doing that and to succeed. I mean, you're mm-hmm. such a success story. You're such an inspiration. Thank you. What What do you, and you attribute that to, is there any like advice that she always told you or is it just always her actions? Was there anything she said? Um, there's a meme on the, on the internet that I love that says your grandmother's prayers are still working for you. And I watched my grandmother pray. Um, And I've never seen anybody pray like that, not before and not since. My grandmother prayed a thoughtful prayer and her prayers would last a very long time. And I would always be like, how can she do that? Like, how can she just go on? And now I do it as a comedian and people ask me, how do you stay up there for an hour? Which is funny, but watching my grandmother pray, I remember being a little kid and getting restless. Like, when is this going to end? Like, here we get it. <laughs> like, at some point, this is going to be over ever. But um, I just remember the prayers and whatever your faith is, I do believe that death, life and death are in the power of the tongue and the things that you speak into mm-hmm. your life, into your reality. And to see someone just every single day pray faith and say, protect the children. She taught me how to commission the angels, which tell you put your angels to work. They're around, they're waiting. Like she told me all of this stuff and it just became part of my constitution. And now I do it, you know, but I just think to see somebody bury their child, which she did, she buried my uncle and still get up and have and do that prayer and be able to get back on her feet um, I was like, I don't, I don't, this is super strength. Like, I, I don't know how this works, but I want that. Yeah. And you have it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you absolutely have it because of your successful career, which, you know, we also want to talk about because it's not something that you went to school for, mm-hmm. right? Cause you were, you were in school and you were like, I think I'm going to do law. And then, um, mm-hmm. but you had this like, bug in you that told you that comedy was something that you it made you feel better right because you grew up watching this from the influences of your uncles yeah so how the book thank you some people do not read the book and then they talk to me and I'm like they don't know what they're talking about (laughs) well I appreciate that um and so how tell us because I want people to understand these other Latinas. I think people like that dream is just not attainable, right? Yeah, it's designed not to be attainable. Like the entertainment business is designed not to let you in, especially mm-hmm. you know anybody. But then then you add the layers of women and then women of color and then Latinas and Latinas who are not blonde with blue eyes. Like they're mm-hmm. not it's not designed to let you in. And the reality of it is, is that there's no rhyme or reason. There's no formula. Nobody knows unless you belong to, belong to the privileged class, you know, everybody else that makes it, if you look at it, there's no, the only thing that they have in common is that they never quit, is that they keep going and that they are, you know, unstoppable. But the truth is you have to believe in yourself because you are constantly going to be in the faces of people who don't believe in you. And we'll let you know that they'll mm-hmm. say it's not bankable. We don't know, you know, you, are you a box office hit? Do you sell tickets? Whatever it is, you know, do you sell records? Do you sell books? 
And you have to keep going and keep going until you find the people who, who your people, and mm -hmm. then you become bankable. And then they, then they come in your face and they lie and they're like, we knew it all along. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have to reckon with that. But you know, the truth is, is that you got to keep going and you have to believe in yourself and you have to respect the integrity of what you do. A lot of people now, because of social media, not even just entertainers, it's like chefs, cooks, you know, people who wives, like people who have found a way to find some, some fame through social media, you have to respect it because if you just want to be popular, you'll be replaced with somebody who becomes more popular than you. You have to really respect the art and say, I'm going to be good at what I do. I'm going to respect it. I'm going to pour into it because, you know, people still love George Carlin. People still love Richard Pryor. Mm -hmm. you know, people still love La Chilindrina. People still mm -hmm. love, you know, the people who were good at what they did are still, they still live on. And so, the, but I, I don't know who was popular during those times because those people faded away. So yeah. you to respect the art you got to say i'm going to really take this seriously and it's going to be good because that stuff lives on yeah absolutely and so tell us about like the time that you decided to do your first stand-up <laughs> you know it was funny. it was i didn't the first time i did stand-up i wasn't even aware i was doing stand-up because i was doing um a brunch my friend uh, had her birthday and she asked me to do her roast and she was like come come do my roast I think you're so funny I just want you to be a part of it and when I did it um I was you know I got laughs people were like oh my gosh she's so funny and then a comedian who um is also a producer and a writer who works with Kevin Hart and Jamie Foxx was like Ida you're a comedian he was like I don't know if you know this, but you're naturally a comedian. And he was like, you need to go do this open mic and just try it and see how you feel. And if you don't like it, just move on. But if you do, you know, you might find something. And he was right. I did it. And I've never stopped. And now you have your book. And now so, I mean, yeah. So you got to, yeah, you got to talk about that. And um, now tell me, well, Jen, go ahead and jump in here because I know you have questions. Otherwise, I'm going to keep asking her. So go ahead. Well, no, that's okay. I mean, listen, because it goes back to once again, the angels and putting your angels into commission. Like I popped up in my head when you talked about your friend, right? Who invite, And by the way, who who was the friend? Chris Spencer. Who, okay. Chris Spencer. So, um, and obviously Chris knew, okay, you're funny. I want to have you, you know, do something. And I saw that, recognize that. How do we recognize who these angels are, but putting them to, you know, you know, to help. We all need to support and each other, right? We all need to volunteer to help each other out. Sometimes it's hard for Latinas to like recognize that and to ask and to think about, oh, what does that mean? Like, where is it going to, you know, get me or I can't ask or I can't share, like, you know, maybe I should share what I want to do. That's uh, all these different challenges. So um, were you aware at that time of the angels around you in the forms of your friends, right? And then, or, or was that something that didn't come till later when we were looking back and writing the book? I came later. It was, it was the aha moment when I was like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, at the time I was just moving along and I was thinking about angels in an ethereal way, you know, like mm -hmm. these mystical characters that you never see, but you know, are around. And then later in life, you realize that they come in different forms and sometimes, many times in human form. But, you know, 
that was a power, a superpower that someone, actually someone who was in the book, um, his father was the one that said to me, you have to commission your angels either. You have to put them to work. That's what your grandmother was doing in the prayers. And I was like, I, and I, I mean, it's, it's my prayer when I get on an airplane, when I leave the house, you know, when my children go somewhere and I commission the angels daily and, and I can feel that, you know, it's a superpower. It works. You just got to believe in it and you got to use it. But it, it definitely came later. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just have to say, you know, revealing from like the personal aspect, having gone through in my career where I was laid off and um, the angels that surrounded me at that time, Melina being one of them, mm-hmm. you know, when I wasn't sure what my next step was going to be. And I was just completely surprised and a little overwhelmed by the love of the people um, personal friends, work friends, people in the industry that just surrounded me. And I had that aha moment that you had where it was like, okay, you know what? I need to share more about me, right? And what I want to do and what's next and how we can help each other. Yeah. And and that's that's a difficult, you know, thing as I'm sure it was um, you know, kind of difficult as Latinas to like share your stories. I mean, in regards to starting this writing process, I was just curious as you were going to, you know, when you started filter anything out, how, how nervous were you afraid were you of, you know, sharing yourself? Cause you share yourself, you shared, I mean, everything. Yeah. well, you know, I did, I sat down and I had, um, I started writing, um, years ago. Like I wanted, I knew I wanted to write a book and I started writing, um, some of these, uh, essays, as writing exercises for my personal healing. Like I was like, I have to get this out of my body. Let me write this. You know, I'll have a moment with my brother. And I was like, I want to tell this story because I I have this, you know, overprotectiveness over my little, my, he's a grown man and he protects me now. But it's just this idea that um, I remember just always feeling like I always had to take care of him. Like he was just everything. And then I was like, I'm going to let me write about the day that my mom, you know, uh, hit, fought the lady who tried to hit us. And, you know, she was very intimidating and she was going to 100 percent beat me up. Like I knew she was yeah. going to hurt me. And my mom just happened to be there, but it was because my brother ran up the stairs and was like, mommy, mommy, mommy. And then he, and you, and mom. you came to the defense of your brother. I mean, you I were, there they were beating, him. they were beating him up. So they were beating him to a pulp and he was little and they had him. What was, I think what was most infuriating about that story was that they were holding his mouth to mm-hmm. come screaming. And right. that felt really sinister to me. I was like, yeah. what, what kid does that? That feels right. so criminal. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they were bullies and, you know, they ended up, you know, having a lot of issues in life. But I was just like, wow, they, they look at them. They're, this is a whole crime scene. They're holding, mm-hmm. one is covering his mouth. And I was like, I just remember the anger that I felt because he was helpless and he was such a sweet baby. And that I was like, get it out of your body, write it out, just write it out, just write it out. And so eventually those stories would become, you know, uh, starting to take a form into like, you know, with a timeline, I started sitting down and saying, okay, well, this happened here, you know, in therapy, like where did, where did this anger come from? Mm -hmm. Where did this imposter syndrome come from? Where did this insecurity come from? You know, it all dates back to childhood because they say your self-esteem is built by the time you're like six or seven years old. And then the rest of your life, you're trying to get it back. And it's like, yeah, 
So true. Yeah. yeah. And then so sitting down saying, you know, what is it that made me? Why am I here? Who? Why am I this person today? And then I I go back and I just think I have these memories and I started writing and, you know, like I lost my uncle when I was a kid and I never really processed it. He was such an instrumental part of my life when I wrote the chapter. Um, I just wrote it. And then um, when I was in a, a, the editing process and I went back and I had to read and, and write, I just cried. I just put, put the computer down and cried. And that was like the first time I ever really grieved my uncle for myself because I was so busy, you know, tending to my mother and my grandmother. My grandmother lost her son. So it almost felt like nobody else was allowed to grieve because she ultimately lost her child. And I remember just consciously thinking that nobody could feel what she was feeling because it's unnatural to lose your child. But it was, it, we all lost him. He was a loss to my mother. That was her brother. It was my uncle. And he was a paternal figure in my life. And so, you know, so it took me some years to really get the story out. I tried to be as, um, you know, as transparent as I could. Um, I made, there were so many stories we had to pick because if not, it would be the grapes of wrath. <laughs> so I couldn't, you know, do all those pages. But the other, also to preserve my own mental health, I didn't want to just live in my trauma. The mm -hmm. book have a journey in art. And, you know, I, I was sexually abused more than one time. So I wasn't going to tell that story, the same story over and over again. I wanted it to be helpful for somebody not to trigger people. Like I didn't want it to be trauma porn. I wasn't just going to say, oh, and it happened to me again. And because then it would defy what the book was about. The book is about, you know, triumph and being able to face adversity and say, I'm going to still move forward. So um, it took me maybe about five years to actually really get to from where maybe longer, I would say seven years where I started writing these stories to where that was a finished product. Mm -hmm. And it's funny that you say imposter syndrome, because we've interviewed a lot of other wonderful Latinas and we all have felt that yeah. in our lives. I mean, I can't say that not one of our guests has not said that at some point in their life, they felt like an imposter and it's like, and you know, and having that feeling and it's just, it's, it, it doesn't surprise me anymore because it's just something that for some reason we have to, like we go through and what was it for you? When did you feel that way? You know, I think it was a uh, comedy. Um, when I, the, the problem with us sometimes is that not only do we have imposter syndrome, but the entities that we engage, whether they're professional or whatever, reinforce them. And mm -hmm. so, you know, in, in the entertainment business, comedy specifically, there are only five Latinas who are national headliners, right? Mm -hmm. It's me, Cristela, Angela Johnson, Melissa Villaseñor, and a woman named Gina Brion out of New York. We are honestly like the Sure, there are other women who headline here and there, but the women who are nationally known as headliners, mm -hmm. and it's it's a very lonely, lonely world. So because we are the only headliners, we bar barely interact because we are always on the road doing things, and there's not a, a strong network. And so, um, you know, you think you don't belong there, and then the business is telling you you don't belong here, you know, and it's 
it just becomes um, a part of a vicious cycle. But I've been dealing with it since I was modeling. You know, I was they. I, I went to. I remember going to a modeling competition where you kind of did. You were responsible for your own wardrobe, and you know the rich girls had designers and stylists, and I, I'm putting my clothes together from like the limited or you know Banana Republic, and they were, and I had a baby, so there it was already. You know, I was already like that girl, and um. And nobody would talk to me. And I was very lonely. I was just with my agent and people were just looking at me. Like there was this white girl named Kelly Drigger who was, everybody was crazy about her. They were like, she's the girl. We're going to sign her. And I had to prove myself every, I won the runway competition. I won, I won the fo photography competition. I won all, and I can still feel, I, the, I still remember feeling like I, it still wasn't enough because even through all of that, they still saw me as less than. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that just reinforced, like I didn't belong there. And so I had to really deal with that wound because if the the most dangerous thing you can do when it comes to self your self esteem is let others validate your worth, mm -hmm. and so when you let let it come from the outside, you will never. If you give them the power to feed you, then you give them the power to starve you. And I had to I had to really learn that that wasn't coming. That was coming from a very unhealthy place, and it took me a while. You know, like mm -hmm. I, I now feel like a grown woman. Like I feel like I'm I'm standing on my own two feet. And nobody's going to make me feel like I'm an old lady because I'm a grown up, because that's one of the things that they do to you is when you get older, they're like, oh, she's old. And I'm like, I'm not old. I'm grown. Mm -hmm. and, you know what I mean? And it's like, exactly. I'm not doing that. I just know who I am. And you associate, you know, being young with being dumb. And that's not, you know, that's not that I'm not playing that game. But, you know, it took me a while to get here. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's such a reoccurring story for mm -hmm. Latina women. Oh, and yeah. I just want, it's something that we just have to talk about because yeah. we shouldn't feel less than. So I feel like we all need to validate each other because we're all worth something in That's our own right. Yeah. We contribute so much and, you know, we keep families together. We, you know, we raise families and we maintain careers and we, uh, you know, Latinas are the ones who keep the culture going, right? The, mm -hmm. We know the, the remedies because of our grandmothers that kept the, you know, the, the remedies from their grandmothers. They're the ones that teach us the language, the words that are not in the, you know, the Spanish dictionary mm -hmm. that come from. We have the, the Latinas and sure men do it too, but primarily it is through the cookbooks that our elite, you know, that we put together. That's how we keep, they've kept our culture alive and we're powerhouses because we can maneuver and maintain and do things that, you know, maintain a household, maintain tradition and, and still run a business. And we deserve credit for that. You know, we get paid less than everyone. Mm -hmm. And it is important that we speak to that. We speak to that because it's, it's unfair and it's not cool. And, you know, when you talk about Latinas from this region of the world, those are the indigenous people of this land. Mm -hmm. And it's not like they're, they're not imposters. <laughs> they are, you know, they are the, the original people of this, of the, the first nations people of these lands. And we need to respect that. Absolutely. You hit it right on the nail right there. Also, what would you say, because, you know, you mentioned comedy there, it's a lonely place, especially for Latinas. Um, 
what would you say was the hardest part for you besides there, you feeling like there was nobody else, but like that you want to help the next Latina who, who wants to do what you're doing? Like, what is your advice for, for, for her? Yeah. So I was talking to someone yesterday. I did a panel and this young Latina Mm -hmm. came to me and she's a comedian and she's new. She's only been doing it for two years. And she was like, well, what is your advice? And for some reason you are career women, you know, when someone younger, newer comes to you, it's like they think you have this magic formula that's going to mm-hmm. get them from A to Z in the, you know, like maybe she's going to give me the cheat sheet to get mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. I got to go. And there's no cheat sheet. There's no, the, the work is the work. And as Malcolm Gladwell said, it's like putting in the hours. That's what, how how you get where you got to go. And I, I was like, don't quit. You know, don't quit. That's my biggest advice is don't quit. You got to keep going you know, be yourself because you will eventually show up anyway. So don't try to be somebody else because that's a hard job to keep up. And, you know, and I was like, and, you know, put in the hours, just, you gotta, you gotta keep going. You gotta put in the work and respect the art and just give it all. And she was just looking at me like she was waiting for the magical thing that I was going to tell her that was going to help her get. And it's just like, that doesn't exist you know, love, it just doesn't. What exists is when you see someone that's successful, what you don't see is years of work behind them that they put in and you see an overnight success, but that does, that's not what it is. And sure, there are some people that skip the line, but if you notice, they don't really stay that long because they don't have the body of work to keep them there. And Mm -hmm. so I was just, it's what I tell young comedians is, you know, don't work, don't look for a gimmick, you know, Cleavage is cool, but that's not going to keep you on stage. That's going to make it harder for you because men can't focus. You know, it's not about being sexist or not being feminist enough. It's about being realistic and understand how things work. You have to do the work. You can do the gimmicks on TikTok. You can do all of that. But when you have to stand in front of a, a group of people who just got off of work on Friday and they paid for a babysitter, they have to pay for parking, they paid for tickets, and now they got to pay two items at a comedy club, you better be funny and you better have something to deliver because they deserve that. And so there's no there's no cheat sheet, no cliff notes to get where you want to go. It is the work. So do the work. Yeah, that's so true. You know, it's really interesting. Um, you said that about that young Latina who asked the question and was hoping to have a good answer. I had a conversation at another event with someone who was just entering and fairly new, been in the industry. And we were talking just about, you know, my background and, and different, you know, putting in the work, right? Working the different hours, working the graveyard shift, working this, working the late nights, working the mornings, da 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 da, that sort of thing. And, and also too, you know, sometimes some of like, you know, the different environments, which might not be cozy um, or easy. And her thought was like, why would you stay? I would just leave. I just, I'm like, the generation is so different. Like I, I was really surprised by that. I'm like, okay. And I I get it maybe in some instances, but I just never was a thought that occurred in my mind, like you, right? You just working. <laughs> yes. You know, it's it's so funny to hear that because it's your it's what you love to do and it's what you set out to do. And it doesn't um, yeah. you know, it's like my grandmother was like, plan B doesn't exist if you really believe that plan A is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Plan yeah. B is for people who don't believe that plan A is gonna work. So it's when you see that and you think about 
these people, I feel like I'm thankful. I'm like, thank God that those people are gone because they get out of the way because they're in the way, right? If, if you, mm. if you dispose of your career and your dream, because it gets hard, then you are just another impediment that we got to jump over to get where we need to go. Cause you're in the way right? And I'm so thankful for those people that go because they don't belong there, you know, go, go figure out. And you know, those people, they, I mean, I have people, I've known people like that, that one day they're selling, you know, a, a milkshake that helps you lose weight. And then the next day they're becoming, they're a life coach. And then the next day they're making candles. And then the next day, and it's they yeah. just keep going and going and trying to figure out what's going to stick because what they want to be is popular, successful, famous, but they don't want to do the work. Mm-hmm. And so they get in the way. So I'm like thankful when they go. Cause I'm like, yeah, be gone. Yeah. yeah. And you have, you have done the work and I know that um, you've done the work, especially with HBO. You've had comedy special. You've been a collaborator for the Entre Nos franchise. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, you know, so important too, because you're talking about, you just mentioned how, you know, it's the five of you that are like the major headliners, Latina headliners. Right. And it's like, how do we change that? How do we change the industry so that we have more Latinas in the decision-making room, right? So that way they we can hear them support the stories that need to be told because people don't understand us. And if we don't have them in the decision-making room, we're still kind of, you know, banging against the door. Have you seen an improvement? Have you seen movement? Um, tell me more about the Entre Nos, you know, franchise too and how that's going. So Entre Nos has made a conscious effort to... Um propel as many Latino comedians as possible into the mainstream by putting them on HBO. And yeah, I do believe that we've, um, you know, that this is the tricky question when you say, uh, yes, I think we've moved forward. Then there are the people cheering and screaming, no, we haven't done enough. Mm-hmm. Two things can be true at the same time. We haven't received our just due, but there have been some progress. There has been some progress because I'm here, you know, Christella's here. I directed um, four comedy specials for HBO last year, and uh, they're all success stories. Ian Lara was just on The Tonight Show last week again. Um, Ralph Barbosa is one of the biggest comedians in the country right now, selling out shows throughout the country, a young Mexican-American kid that's under 25 years old from Texas that has, he was, I mean, George Lopez even talked about him because he's really just took off. It's just been... (laughs) He has been, he's probably one of the biggest comedians in the country right now. And, um, you know, I had a, a hand in being able to show him to the world, it just, you know, directing him, just remembering he did two tapings, me sitting with him saying, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. And he went out there and did it. And now he is, he signed to the biggest agency in Hollywood management wise, as well as agency. So yeah, I think the things are happening. Marcela Aguello, who's a Salvadorian mm-hmm young woman from, you know, she's from Modesto to tell the story of her family and, and be able to, you know, show the world through the perspective of a Salvadorian young woman, like those things matter. And, and I do think that when we say that there has been no progress, then we, we kind of erase and, uh, you know, other those people. And I think it's important to say, yes, there's a long way to go, but we've, we've also come a long way. We 1000% have. And um, it's just, 
it's good and it's great to see and to hear all of these different stories because I think little by little in our own sections and areas of work that we do, I think we are paving the way. It might not seem like big little moves, but the movement is definitely happening for sure because, yeah, I see it only when I'm in these big conference, you know, meetings and it's like Latinos, da, 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 da. they're like the highest, you know, mm-hmm. watching TV or whatever the numbers are, Fingers, we're always yeah. the ones, mm-hmm. we're always the ones and people are noticing that. And it's like, yeah. I think now we're entering almost every section of just different jobs, environments, and and we're changing things. And so I think it's just a matter of time, but that's why we have to lift each other up and continue giving our conversations like yourself. So thank you. No, thank you. I appreciate that. I do totally feel that way. Yeah, absolutely. Aida, we loved having you part of this um, podcast, this episode. I um, mean, truly, like I said, are an inspiration. Thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing mm-hmm. all the advice for all of our Latinas out there, our audience members who are listening. And um, I just want to tell everybody, please go out and buy the book, Legitimate mm-hmm. Kid. It's an inspirational story. It's, I mean, if it's just a wonderful story about this wonderful Latina, we have to go out and show our support but also take away, take away some like really great messages from this and like, you know, put it out there, put it in the Latina community, support each other, help each other out, help yourself out. Don't get in your way. And, you know, thank you all for listening on the podcast. Thank you, Aida. We just thank really, you, Aida. I'm a reflection of you. Keep doing good work and putting us out there. We need that. So thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you. Muchas gracias. Thank you. Until the next one. Besos y abrazos. Bye.